it was like I was coming home with a brand new baby. But I was never pregnant. I did not adopt. I didn't have a surrogate. But that's how I felt. All of a sudden, I got this whole human being that I'm responsible for out of the blue with no warning. At least when you're pregnant, you got some months to plan for it. Or when you adopt, you throw in your paperwork and they kind of, you decided you wanted to be a parent. You know what I'm saying? Or if with a surrogate, you decided you wanted to be a parent. All of those, there was an affirmative action on your part when you decided you wanted to be the parent. Ah, not this time. But that's how I felt. Getting off that plane from L.A., we land in Atlanta. Y'all, my mama's in a wheelchair. She cannot walk. She cannot communicate effectively. And I'm thinking, there are no doctors at the house. There are no nurses at the house. There are no caregivers at the house. Y'all just going to let me take my mama back? Who You trust me to do this? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. The house is not dementia-proof, okay? I don't have no Alzheimer's equipment. I don't know nothing about this stuff. And I don't know that I'm safe enough for y'all to give it to me. But right now, we all we got. Parenting Up, Caregiving Adventures with Comedian Jay Smiles is the intense journey of unexpectedly being fully responsible for the well-being of my mama. For almost a decade, I've been chipping away at the unknown, advocating for her, and pushing Alzheimer's awareness on anyone and anything with a heartbeat. Spoiler alert, I started comedy because this stuff is so heavy. Be ready for the jokes. Caregiver newbies, OGs, village members trying to just prop up a caregiver, you are in the right place. Hi, this is Zeddy. I hope you enjoy my daughter's podcast. Is that okay? Today's episode, help! I'm not qualified. The first night back home was scary. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't rest. I couldn't plan. I literally didn't know what to do. Now, thankfully, the home health agency, Home Instead, they had already scheduled an appointment for them to come to the house, see the house, interview me, assess my mom. But they weren't coming for a few days. So I was flying solo, bathing my mom, cleaning her, feeding her, doing an awful job, I might add. I didn't have any techniques. I didn't have any supplies. It was a mess, a absolute mess. I did have loving, caring folks supporting me. The top five like I already talked about, they were checking in on me. And I was trying to figure out how to just last to the caregiver agency company. Come. <laughs> Let me tell you something that was funny and not at the same time. My mother ended up with some weird looking asymmetrical rat tail <laughs> hairdo from the way they shaved her head to put the shunt in. I thought now, I know this was necessary, but my mama would be mad as hell with y'all if she realized that you gave her an asymmetrical rat tail. Anywho, I digress. By this time, I'm just a few weeks from opening my business in Las Vegas, SCORE. So the grand opening is looming, and 
I'm afraid to ever leave my mama's side at this point. But anyway, let me back up a little bit. So I was so paranoid and so shook by the way the last few months of my life had gone. I didn't even trust myself to interview the care agency. So I got my cousin to come over. My cousin Joy, the same one who went and got my car from the airport. I got him to come over and be in the house with me because I said, well, I, I don't even know. Like, are these people going to be casing me out? Are they? How do you, how do I know? Like, can I really let them see my house? I don't know these people. They could come here. They could hurt me. They could hurt mama. Like, that's how paranoid I was. So much had gone awry and crazy wrong that I ain't even trust letting the people in the house. But I knew I needed to. So I got my cousin to come. He's an imposing figure. Let's put it that way. And so I was trying to show um, a fortress of strength. Like, hey, just because I'm single and not married, I don't think y'all can come in here and take advantage of me. So hilarious was watching my cousin play the stern role while I was trying to ask questions. Y'all, I didn't know what to ask. I'm sure all I asked was like, well, how much does it cost? Did you train them? Are you sure that the person doesn't have a criminal record? Like, that's all I knew to ask, which is a horribly insufficient set of interview questions. I mean, I know that now. But at that time, shoot, I was like, hey, so about these caregivers, how many can I have? When can they start? What do they do? Because I'm thinking this caregiver going to come in and teach me. You've been trained. I haven't been trained. Now, I know how to hospital. I got a PhD in hospitaling. But in the hospital, I go get the people who are trained, the doctor, the nurse, the tech, the phlebotomist. I love saying that word whenever I can. So, but this caregiver, are they going to come do everything and train me? Y'all, the answer is no. You supposed to tell the caregiver what you want them to do okay i'm sorry have you all not been listening to me i don't know i don't have no plan for this so i meet with the owner i tell them my background i tell them how swiftly this happened about my dad dying about my mom being shocked into dementia about the brain power that my mother once thrust upon the world and all of the bits and pieces of my mom's life that was now just kind of meandering in the fold. They told me, they said, hey, you know what? Because your mother was such a um, force, such a professional force and so involved with the community, we have the perfect caregiver for her. This woman is uh she worked in corporate America for a number of years, and she's now retired. But we think she'll be able to have a really good conversation with your mom because she likes talking shop, too. And I'm like, hey, whatever. Little did I know you. The heavens were smiling on me from that poor set of interview questions and requests. I got the best caregiver I've ever had or ever heard of. <laughs> You know how they say God takes care of babies and fools? I would like to say that God takes care of babies, fools, and J-Smiles. Because there is no way that I should have gotten the queen of all caregiving, which is who I got in DeWanda. DeWanda came in and she was a phenomenally perfect fit for me and mama because she had worked in an office. And so she understood the language that my mother used, even though what my mama was talking about was largely inaccurate. My mother's language and words and diction and the way she formed sentences could be intimidating and could be a bit um uh, commanding and so it was fantastic that you know Dewanda just was like yeah whatever it just went right it, with 
went blew right by Dewanda. She wasn't affected. She wasn't impacted. She wasn't intimidated. It was great. And Dewanda had cared for her brother who was terminally ill, and she had cared for long-term for another client with uh, Alzheimer's. So I was like, pet, let's go. Let me tell you the part that I, I still don't understand why she did. So Dewanda thought she would be working just eight to 10 hours a week just for a little pocket change. What ended up happening, though, was I had to go to open up SCORE in Vegas, and I needed to be gone for some days. Well, DeWanda was working today, so what am I going to do with the night? Voila, Aunt Cheryl. Y'all, Aunt Cheryl came from California, and she was with my mama at night and DeWanda during the day. Don't you know that DeWanda worked three weeks straight? Three weeks straight? Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, three times. This is the first caregiver I get out the gate. It's like I got caregiver gold, manna from heaven out the gate. It spoiled me, and I have never been the same. <laughs> I ain't been able to put it together since. Don't nobody do that. Anyway, that was fantastic. As grateful as I was for Aunt Cheryl and Dewanda caring for my mom, y'all, I felt so guilty leaving her. I was nauseous getting on the plane to go to Las Vegas. I felt like I was abandoning my mother from for like some capitalist enterprise. Like how dare you put the opening of a business ahead of your mama? Jay, what are you doing? Then I heard my mama and my daddy say, uh, baby, we have already invested money. And what you're doing right now is you're going to protect your money. Mama will be fine. You've left me here with Cheryl and whoever this new lady is, that'll be fine. You go watch that money. So you talking about mental health tricks to keep myself in a mental headspace where I could be in Vegas and act as if I am the owner and operator of a massive new business. Be present, be aware, be vigilant, but all the while constantly watching my cell phone trying to see if there's a text and if my mama's okay. It was hell. This parenting up thing is not a game. It is not a game. When you are parenting, you're a parent. That's the concept behind parenting up. Whew. So everything goes well in Vegas. The grand, grand opening actually gets pushed back. But I'm out there for over a week uh, doing what we can, putting my elbows in, rolling up my sleeves to help us get closer to the grand opening. Oh, 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 oh. And let me tell y'all that also during this time, major things were due to the IRS around my father's estate. Since he did not have a will or we couldn't find it and we were moving forward without one, you have nine months from the date of death to basically put in your draft of what you think <laughs> your estate is going to be, what you think it's going to be worth. You have to have an assessment of all of that. You have to claim every benefit that you think you want, any kind of exclusion. You have to do all of that. And you have to be appointed by the court as the administrator and all of this other stuff within nine months in order to take advantage of any part of the tax code that could benefit you. <laughs> huh? So guess what, guys? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nine months, pretty much. This nine-month deadline coincides with when I'm getting mama back to Atlanta and when it is mandatory that I get to Las Vegas because I've been putting Vegas off at this point for about four months. What we don't have over here is boredom. A huge thing I realized is I suck at asking for help. Oh, goodness. I like need 
counseling? Do they have something like that? Do they have like, I don't ask for help anonymous? Like, I'm bad at it. Now, I got even worse because of my paranoia. Remember, family member who had just tried to sue us and things were going wrong with other partners that my parents had and cases and stuff were being filed. It was a lot happening. You know how they say circle the wagons? I ain't even circle the wagons. By this time, I had just taken my mama and run for the hills and I was hiding in a cave. <laughs> and I was afraid to ask for help. Well, partly I was in shock and I didn't even know what I needed. But the little part of me that was starting to wake up and feel was afraid to ask for the sake of appearing vulnerable and potentially being taken advantage of. Awful feeling. Everybody during this time who helped me it's because of their graciousness, because I didn't ask. Monica, Cheryl, Christine, Janelle, Seon, I didn't ask them to come to L.A. I just told them that my mama had to have emergency brain surgery, and they rallied and came to me. Those same women started rotating to come to Atlanta to give me a break, to have a glass of wine with me, to check on my mental health, which at this point I can tell you it was tethered and worn. By now, Zeddy is starting to recover from the brain surgery. And this recovery really is a slow waiting game. We are having to do exercises at home every day to strengthen her arms, her legs, her back, to increase her dexterity, writing, brushing her teeth. So it not only are we teaching her how to do it again, we're also having to make her do it a bunch of times a day. And she don't really want to. And I really don't want to make her do anything she doesn't want to do. I feel like my sweetie baby mama has been through enough. And if she want to lay down and go to sleep for six days, JG wants to let her. But I'm like, I can't, Ma, so you got to get up and you got to do exercises. Another crazy thing, finding doctors, OMG, for anybody in the medical field, y'all got to make it easier to find out where you are because a Google search does not feel appropriate when your mama just had brain surgery and you're having to move to a new city, okay? The people who had the connection in Los Angeles to Emory, they were able to arrange for the PET scan, but they didn't have any suggestions on a primary care physician or a neurologist or a neurosurgeon or a hospital or geriatric anybody they just released us and i was like ah you kidding me right now but if you remember back in episode one the first full episode i talked about dr sandia green harris who is a very dear friend of mine and i just had the great great fortune of having grown up with her and she is a neurosurgeon in Atlanta. So I called her and I said, look here, Dr. Sandy. That's what I call her. Remember all that stuff that was going on in LA? We are back, sweetheart. We are in Atlanta and I don't know nothing about any doctor here and nobody in LA could tell me about a doctor here. And I know it ain't, it's not necessarily in your job description to help me find doctors, but listen here, I'm falling apart and I need your help. She said, Jay, I got you. I would like to also say that she is a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Just throw that out there. <laughs> just It just so happened. So Dr. Sandy takes my mom as a patient, which immediately gives me grace and access well past anything a Google search could have done or my health insurance 1-800 number. So Dr. Sandy becomes my mom's neurosurgeon. Dr. Sandy is in practice with a neurologist. So I say, hey, if she's good enough 
<laughs> to be your practitioner partner. She's good enough for us to try. Cause I don't even know how to find no uh, neurosurgeon or how to know which one is good or bad. Now, I can tell you what's a bad pair of shoes. Just let me put them on. I can tell you if it's going to hurt after an hour walking in the airport. I can tell you about traveling and when you want to go to Iceland versus when you want to go to Namibia. I don't know nothing about finding doctors. <laughs> okay, that's not my thing. It was important to have a neurosurgeon and a neurologist because the neurosurgeons are the experts who can adjust the shunt. So the shunt that was placed in my mom's brain was put on, I guess, kind of like the average setting. But they warned me that after maybe a few months when stuff starts to, when her brain starts to heal, we'll be able to tell if the device needs to be adjusted. And how can we tell? Well, if it seems like she's walking in like the little shuffle foot, like y'all remember uh, Tim Conway on the Carol Burnett show. He had this character, he's like this old, um, crazy, white-haired doctor, but he shuffled, foot walked really, really slowly, and he talked really really slowly. Basically, walking like that is an indicator that the shunt is not working or mom having extreme incontinence. Because at this point, her incontinence had gotten a little bit under control because of the shunt. So that's what I was supposed to be looking for. And I ended up noticing like, hey, this looks a little funny. I, I think maybe the shunt's not working. And so about uh, maybe three or four months later, Dr. Sandy did make an adjustment and the adjustment was useful. And then the neurologist is the specialist who keeps track of how any degenerative brain disease is progressing by just standard office visits, questions, tests, blood work, things of that nature. And the neurologist was also the person who would communicate with Emory around the PET scan results and whether or not that meant mama had Alzheimer's. And if she did have Alzheimer's, then how advanced was it? So... <laughs> Because what we do over here is keep it interesting. So the shunt that they used at Cedar Sinai in California is all the rave in Europe and in California. The rest of America does not use it. Huh. So we get over here and all the neurosurgeons and neurologists in Atlanta are like, uh, yeah, so Jay Smiles, we don't we don't use that brand. And so the devices that we have to do any modification or adjustment won't work on what's in your mama's head. So guess what, people? I had to call back out to the seat of Sinai, talk to those doctors, get them to give me a name to their device rep, Sophisa. And then Sophisa gave me their rep in the Georgia area. And then I had to get the rep in the Georgia area to call Dr. Sandy to say, hey, I will come to your office with the proper device to allow you to adjust the shunt that's in Zeddy's head. All of that just to do what was supposed to be a simple adjustment because did nobody have the adjustment tools for the brand of shunt my mama had. Anywho, whenever I'm in Atlanta, I'm on shift at night. DeWanda's doing the days, I'm doing the nights. And then obviously some days I got to give DeWanda off, which means I then do the day and the night. And while this is happening, I am also still managing my mother's CPA, expert witness firm, my dad's law office, moving forward with his estate affairs, <laughs> and still trying to get to the grand opening of the business out in Las Vegas. Y'all, 
the number of moving pieces crazy, crazy. And I'm going to admit to you, the way I was getting through was Remy Martin 1738. I'm not condoning it, but I told you I'm going to tell the truth. During this time, Breve Lattes from Starbucks, which is a strong, bold espresso with steamed half and half. That's right. That was my meal. That was my breakfast, my lunch, and my dinner. The Remy Martin 1738 over ice looked like iced tea, okay? In a little cup, it looked like warm tea. So I will admit I was getting away with increased volumes of cognac without anyone recognizing, without anyone knowing. I wasn't driving, but I never even got inebriated. My body was in such turmoil, such pain, and under such stress that even consuming those amounts of alcohol... I wasn't waking up with a hangover. I wasn't nauseous. I didn't need to eat. I was functioning at a very high level. I'm not proud of it. I'm just trying to tell you how painful it was. And at that time, that was my mental health self-care. Let me tell y'all something that knocked the wind out of me a little bit. We get back to Atlanta. We're settling in. I need to tell the staff at my mother's office and the staff at my father's office about my mother's health because they had become used to her interacting with them, handling his affairs, and maintaining my mother's own affairs. And I need to let them know why you're not going to see Yvette. You're going to see and hear a whole lot of Jay. And don't panic and don't run out and tell it in the street. I'm sharing this with a person on the staff at my mom's office. And this person tells me, well, you know, a few months before your dad died, I did see a couple of changes in your mom. Now, first of all, record scratch. What kind of changes and why didn't you say something when you saw him? Anyway, this person goes on to talk about, well, we were in a meeting and we were discussing plans and strategies and there were lots of numbers being thrown around at the conference table. And your mom had difficulty recalling a few of the numbers as the meeting progressed. Y'all, my mama was so nice with numbers in the span of one business meeting, she doesn't forget the numbers that are thrown out, no matter how large they are or no matter how many they are. It was customary for her to recall all of that and recite it like a computer would. So I said, well, what did you say? Did you say something to her? Did you ask her how she was feeling or what was going on? This person said, well, no. I mean, Yvette is such an expert with this stuff. I just thought maybe she was having a bad day. See, her dad had died kind of recently, and I, we just thought maybe she was under a lot of stress. There was a lot going on. I said, huh, okay. Then I told a few key members of my family, um, also asked them to keep it to themselves. And a family member said, well, Jay, now that you mention it, a few months before, before your dad died, I saw your mom in the CVS without her bottom partial in. Now, I need y'all to know this. It's two things my mama would not ever do when she was a full, healthy-brained person. She would not ever let her gray show. She was not for gray hair, period, end of story. She would not let anybody outside of me and my father see her without her full set of partials clicked in. And I looked at the family member and I said, well, what did you, did you say something to her? Well, no, I just thought she was busy. And, have, and just forgot about it. But it did stand out to me as something that I didn't think she would do. <sighs> Look, it's over now. It's water under the bridge. And both of these instances, they're telling me about things that they saw happen a handful of months before my dad died. So it's not to say that I feel like there's something I could have pounced on and figured out earlier. It just was noticeable and stood out to me. 
a painful thing to watch was my mom attempt to be herself. She would try to get a legal pad and pen and start writing testimony, which is what she would have been doing if she were working. So she would start writing testimony based on what she was watching on TV. So if it was Law and Order or the news or the Ellen DeGeneres show, it didn't matter. She would start writing as if she was going to have to report that to a judge or to a court. Very painful. It was obvious that she didn't know who was alive and who was dead in our life. That was also painful. I was like, whoa, are you serious right now? You don't know daddy's dead? So, okay, I'm going to have to take my time with these kind of stories. So there was an instance where my mom said, JG, have you talked to your daddy today? And y'all, I just stopped and I looked at her. I was like, uh, I'm thinking it's just a trick question. I'm like, no, or have you? Because remember, in my mind, I don't need you talking to daddy. I don't need y'all making no pact because I don't need you falling asleep and don't wake up tomorrow. Okay, I don't need that. I don't need that, Zeddy. She said, no, she said, I haven't heard from him all day. I don't know where he is. He better not be in the street. And I'm like, oh, man, she thinks he's still alive and like just didn't come home today which means she doesn't have any recollection of like the last, I don't know, nine or 10 months. Are you kidding me? This is too much. This is too much. I said, well, mommy, um, daddy died. Such a bad decision on my part to make that statement. She looked at me and she said, no, he did not. Don't you say that. JG, do not say that. So then I say, well, mama, I wouldn't play about something like that. Daddy did die. And so I went to get his obituary. I pulled it out. And I showed it to her and she's looking at it and she's reading it. I can't tell how much she's processing or consuming it. But the look on her face, the scowl, the way her shoulders are starting to curl, it appears that she's digesting the heaviness of reading the funeral program. And she looks at me and she says, were you there? Did you go to the funeral? And I, I said, yeah, I went. I said, of course. She said, but why didn't you take me? She said, oh, my God, Chuck must have think I don't love him. She said, I bet everybody there thought that I didn't care for him and didn't love him. I JJ, how could you how could you have a funeral and not tell me and not take me? I was a green caregiver at that time, green and wet behind the ear. At that point, I'm a bit frustrated and I'm a bit overwhelmed with the situation. I raised my voice a tad. And I'm like, Mama, you were there. You were totally there. And I get pictures of me and my mom at the funeral. I show her that. Does not help at all. She says, I can't believe this. She goes to lay down. That was my first hard lesson in caregiving. My reality doesn't matter. Matching her reality is all that counts. The snuggle up. Don't just try to get the auntie or the neighbor to come sit with your loved one. They are not trained. They don't know what they're doing. You got to think about it like they're a toddler. They can't communicate what was done well or poorly while a caregiver was there. When it's time to select a caregiver, this is not the time or the place to look for the bargain. Another snuggle up, village members. If you see an adult behaving way out of character, tell one of their loved ones. I think I saw Jay's man cheating, but I don't want to get in it because I don't want her to get mad with me. This ain't that. 
That's it for now. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe for continuous caregiving tips, tricks, trends, and truth. Pretty, pretty please with sugar on top. Share and review it too. I'm a comedian. Alzheimer's is heavy, but we ain't gotta be.